All right, if you will, turn with me again to John 15. John chapter 15. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been in a series of sermons on John 15. And today, we actually will finish the chapter. So, uh, so the series will actually come to an end. We're going to be doing something different for, uh, for Lent uh, over the next few Sundays. But, but this is a very, very powerful text of Scripture. If, uh, if I, you know, I would say again, if you've never read chapters 13 through 17, you really need to go home today and, and look at it really, really closely. It is a powerful, powerful section of Scripture. And so turn with me here again to John 15, and we're going to look and start reading at verse 18. <clears throat> Notice these words here. This is the word of God. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word... That is written in their law must be fulfilled. Quote, they hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness. Because you have been with me from the beginning. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your holy word. And Lord, every time I read your word, I feel like I'm in the deep end. Lord, would you show us what we need to hear? Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that the Spirit would say to us today. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm calling today's sermon Jesus' finale, especially in particular to this chapter. We looked at first his keynote, which is abide in me. We looked at his plenary session, which is everybody's got to be there, everybody's got to be on board with this, and that is love one another. 
the middle section there of 15. And then now we come down to the finale, and it's this word to us, I chose you. I chose you. This is Jesus' drop the mic statement. He's about to exit stage left through the cross, through the resurrection. He's returning to his father just as he had prophesied. But before he does, he does that same thing he does in Matthew, and that is he commissions his followers. Here, the closest followers who are the 12 apostles. He's going to leave the mic on the ground this night for them to pick up. You could say the cross for them to pick up, the burden of the world for them to pick up, the lost in the world for them to pick up, the broken for them to mend, to speak life into the world. He's giving them the mic. You ever had that happen all of a sudden? Here, say something. Uh. It's always that famous uh, right? This is the final night. This is the last supper. His last discourse, his last teaching, this is it. And what does he say? What would you say? I mean, he came to save the world. Now he's got the 12 guys he's invested in the most right before him. And this is it. This is the finale. What does he say? What would you say? What would I say? Oh, I would have talked about policy changes. Guys, we've got to start doing things better here. And you guys are knuckleheads. You can't be bickering and stuff. We're never going to save the world like that. I would have instituted some accountability groups. I would have talked about teamwork because teamwork makes the dream work. I would have cast vision and tried to be a good speaker and a great motivator. I would have talked about raising funds for the mission and buying into the vision. I would have talked about maybe some agile systems that can move with a growing organization and managing structures. Right? Maybe a solid pedagogy. You guys got to be on the same page there. Maybe a nice philosophy of ministry. Maybe a, a nice discipleship plan that, that, was, that, that, that came hot off the press. Hey guys, here's some new resources. Let me, let me hand these out to you real quick. I'm about to leave. No. No, that's not what Jesus does. That's not his last words to his disciples. Instead, it's very simple. Abide in me. Look at me. Live in me. Or else this is all going to come to nothing. It's not about our human ingenuity. It's not about our suave speaking or presentations or productions. It's about Jesus and being with Him. You can tell when someone has been with Jesus. In Acts, the apostles 
were arrested and their accusation toward them was, look, they're unlearned men, but they've been with Jesus. And that's enough. That's authority enough that you've been with Jesus. Abide in me. And then we start looking for a five-step program or 21 irrefutable laws or a three-point outline of how we can... Tell me how I can be with Jesus. I need to check that off tomorrow. But relationships are not a checklist. If you haven't realized that by now, you should. Marriage is not easy. It's punching the clock in and out each day. Child-rearing doesn't work like that. It's the checklist changes by the minute. You can hear some of the evidence of that now. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give them a cheap three-point message, but instead he points to himself. And either he's the most egocentric person to ever live, asking people to love him more than their father or mother, love him more than their friends and family. Either he's the most egocentric person in the world, or he's God. Or he's God. And here's what God says on this final speech to his disciples, his finale. He says, abide in me. Love one another because I have chosen you. Yes, you. He hands the mic to you to speak on his behalf. It's pretty dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, at weddings, I've heard some really bad speeches. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't hand that guy the mic again. You know, you shouldn't have done that. And yet he hands the mic to us. In other words, he's not going to be physically here on a television screen, doing a big crusade. I mean, you know, Jesus could have come during our time, right? He chose when he came. He could have come when technology was at its most, when the whole world was connected and very disconnected at the same time. He didn't choose to come then. He chose to pass the ball to us. And I, I, you know, I just, I'm always amazed. I mean, that's nuts. That's not a good business decision in my mind. Give it to a bunch of amateurs? No, but that's what he wants to do. He doesn't see us as amateurs. You see, this whole thing about him choosing us is not that lineup you used to do in elementary school, right? Where I was a pipsqueak and these giants are around me and they're like, I want that guy, that guy's getting chosen last. No, that's not the kind of choosing that God is doing here. That's not the kind of choosing that Jesus is concerned with. What Jesus offers in these final moments is God. And that's where the power comes from. Not from your strength. Not from my strength. It's from living in Christ. This is not just any God. Recently, as you know, I did a a lecture series on, um, on Islam. And I had, a, I had a friend of mine who is a missionary to the Philippines. He lives half the year there and half the year here in the States. And he wrote me and he said this. He said, hey, I like the part you mentioned that they cannot relate to God as father. Because there's a lot of family language in the Bible about God, right? Father, son, 
We're his children, his bride, all this kind of stuff. He said, it's so true. He said, uh, I notice all false religions have trouble answering this question. And that is, what has your God done for you? Now they can tell you plenty. Here's what he said. They can tell you plenty about what they did for God. They can die for their God. They can serve their God. They can obey their God. But they have trouble telling people what God has done for them. For the Christian, it's easy. For the Christian, we're the ones in the deficit. He says this, a dead God, we must do everything for him. But a living God, he does everything for us. The gods, ladies and gentlemen, are dead. I've watched them in India make their gods. Watched them do it. We don't have to make our God up. He chose us. He decided to bring us into reality. Any more than you chose to be. He chose us. In other words, I didn't choose to be born into the family I was. I had no decision in that. And you haven't had a decision in the fact that you are. He chose that. He chose to bring you about. And now he chooses you after the fact. One of the most broken situations is for two people to bring someone into the world and not choose them. But our God is not like that. He's a good father. He's the one who defines what it means to be a father, not the other way around. He's the archetype. You see, this is the only true and living God that Jesus is offering on this final night. It's it's kind of crazy. He could have chosen anything to talk about in those chapters 13 through 17. And what he talks about the most is the Holy Trinity. In other words, all of our Trinitarian language that we believe in, that you just affirmed in with the Apostles' Creed, when we say the collect a moment here in just a moment to end the service, you're going to hear it again. Very Trinitarian. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, one God in three persons. That language, that kind of understanding primarily is found in 13 through 17. That's his last night with his disciples and he decides to talk about none other than God who God really is, and God really is a divine family. God really is a society in himself. Why does society make sense to us? Why does family make Why are relationships important? Because God himself is a relationship. God himself is a divine family, and he invites us into that family. We have a place at his table. At his table. He made that possible. And he knew what he was doing would make that possible. And that's why even today, some 2,000 odd years later, we still say in remembrance of him. It's his table. But we get to pull up to it. It's his meal. But we get to eat. 
He gives them a dissertation on the Holy Trinity. It's insane. I wouldn't have done that. I'd have given them something super practical. But what is more practical than giving them God? Isn't God at the end of the day all we truly need? I think that's what Jesus is saying here. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it all. But you have to know and love and obey Christ. We are called to be His image. Not to make images, but to be His image. And only He can make us like that. We're called to live in a different family than we were born into. And I mean born under the curse of Adam. Romans is very clear. Paul is in his theology. And he says, through Adam, all sinned. Through Adam, sin equaled death to all. When we will all die because of that. Sin is social, but thanks be to God, so is salvation. And there is another Adam that comes, Paul says in Romans 5. And he says, he's the last Adam. And what he does for us is puts himself in the place of punishment and takes it all on himself. Bears it for us. We would be crushed under the weight of God's judgment. But thanks be to God, Christ has taken that judgment. He took the full brunt. We're behind Him. And He takes the full brunt of punishment. And now we have an opportunity to share that with the world. We can be grafted in. Even if you've been cut off. Even if you weren't producing fruit. You can be grafted in. If you've wandered away, you can be brought back home. Here's what Jesus says very simply in this text. He says, you didn't choose me. And none of us did. While we were still in our sins, the Bible says, God chose us. When we were dead in our trespasses, God chose to make us alive in Christ Jesus. We were without hope. You know, you don't have to try to fail. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty easy to fail at something, you know? Like, if you want to be good at failing, just don't do anything. It's real simple to fail. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a book about failing, because we all know how to do that. It's more difficult to succeed, to do something significant. Because doing something significant, doing something successful, almost always requires sacrifice. All the great stories that have ever been told, all the great epics that have ever been written, always have at the heart sacrifice. So then why do we think as Christians that we can lay up and ride on the coattail into heaven? Do the bare minimum to make it. It will require great sacrifice. If we're going to do anything significant here at Harvest Point, it's going to take sacrifice. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. That's what we're going to be doing over 40 days. Denying ourselves, Putting the cell phone down, maybe. I don't know where mine is now. 
putting it down, turning it off. Listen to somebody the other day that was from England, and they said they came to Mississippi and they were pumping gas, and there was a screen telling them what to do. And they said, What kind of world have we come to? Where from pumping gas to being in a waiting room, we're always being told things. We're never left alone to our thoughts. We never have time to process anything in our life anymore because it's on to the next thing. We scroll away our life as the world passes us by. I'm saying put it to death. I'm saying over 40 days, just see what kind of difference it would make to sacrifice, to spend time with Jesus, to spend time with the ones that He has entrusted into your life. What would that look like? I don't know. You've got to figure that out today as you pray. And then lay it down on the altar. You see, I didn't choose Christ before I ever made a decision for Christ. He had already chosen me. He had already made the way possible. I thought I was doing something awesome. I, I chose Jesus. Yeah, guys, look at me, look at me. And come to realize salvation is not even about me. It's about saving me from me. Because I was never designed for me. The fact that I didn't come into the world by me. Nor can I sustain myself by me. Ought to tell us, shouldn't it? That we shouldn't live for me. But rather Christ. Rather others. Look at how God exists Himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit giving. You, you, you look at the Father, He's always pointing to the Son. You look at the Son, He's always pointing to the Father. And the Spirit, and the Spirit's pointing to Jesus. And Him sending the Father. Nobody's concerned with self. They defer. They're disposable to each other. Because that's what love looks like. Love is not me. It's not selfish. It's not Gollum. I think Tolkien did us a great service in creating the character of Gollum. For I see myself in there. Mine! All mine! And I have to restrain myself. I have to pull back and say, whoa, where'd that come from? Kind of got this dichotomy, but just like Gollum does, you know. No, the hobbits is, you know, and he's like, I hate them, I hate them, you know. I find that principle at work and I've got to put it to death. And thanks be to God, Romans 7, thanks be to God, we don't have to continually live in that back and forth. We can be free by the Spirit. You cannot sit here and tell me that God can't do it because my Bible, same one that you're reading, will say, with God, all things are possible especially deliverance from sin. Do not allow the enemy to tell you he cannot deliver you, that you're going to be like this forever. That's a lie. He's good at lying. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to the world. Listen rather to Christ. Abide rather in Christ. We are called to something, truly to someone Greater than ourself. We were never made for self. And so God chooses us. 
And he, here's, what he's, here's what he says, I have appointed you to go and bear much fruit. I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear much fruit. I remember when I was 15 years old, I started umpiring. My dad had been umpiring for years, but I started umpiring. 15 years old. Now I look at a 15 year old, I'm like, I think I'd ever let somebody umpire like that. But I was 15 and I was umpiring. And they gave me a uniform. They gave me a title, right? I mean, the coach come out and said, how you doing, sir? Sir, 15, wow, this is pretty awesome, right? Not, not after that game, huh? But I had a title. I had a uniform. And you know what? In that, in that same kind of funny way, God, doesn't he? He gives us a title, doesn't he? You are my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. You might not look like it right now, but I'm saying it over you. You are my child. You are mine. I chose you, and now I'm giving you the authority to make the call. And the uniform? Oh, yeah. Paul talks about this. Be clothed in righteousness. Put it on. You might not feel like it, but put it on. And the uniform means something, doesn't it? Just ask a police officer sometime. That uniform means something. Ask a military person. That uniform means something. And in Christianity, what you put on, righteousness, it means something. It's our badge. It's the thing that identifies us. And what does that righteousness look like? I think we already looked at it last week. Love one another. That's what it looks like. Put on Christ. Put it on. You may not feel like it. Inside you may be little. Put it on. He's called you. Step out on faith. He believes in you. He believes in you. He really does. He likes you. That's the, I mean, he doesn't just love you because he has to, because he's God like, oh man, you know, here comes so and so. Now, he actually likes the way you are. He has called you. Not Moses. He's done with Moses. Moses relaxed in heaven. He's done with Elijah. He's not going to call another Elijah. But he's going to call you by name to go and bear much fruit. Fruit that lasts. Fruit that changes the world. Fruit that can be shared. <laughs> That's what we're doing here at Harvest Point. That's what Jack and Carrie just offered to us. Come with us. Let's work the fields. They're great with harvest. And it's true. We didn't choose him, but he chose us. And he appointed us to go and bear much fruit. To truly be the light of the world. I want to tell you a story that that impacted me recently. It was told by a lady to a bunch of children. I might not have the the history all right, but back in 1944, June 19th, there was something that happened out on the Pacific front in the Pacific Ocean with the war against Japan. Uh, There was was a fleet of our ships that was looking for a Japanese fleet. And and, uh, if you go back and look, that, that was a really tough thing. 
Um, we don't have some of the capabilities that we have today, uh, back then. And so they found one. They fi- they've been looking for weeks. It was, it was dangerous. Dangerous business out there on the open water is a bad, awful war and all this kind of stuff. 200 planes were quickly assembled when they found that. But here was the problem. It was getting late. You say, well, what's the big problem with that? We have night vision, all this kind well, Hang on. <laughs> Let's rewind to 1944, right? Okay. And the leadership made a real gutsy decision to go ahead and go after the fleet, even though it was getting dark. The guys would have to come back. It was, it was actually the max distance that they knew the planes could go. And, and it actually was a little beyond that, according to some calculations. So they, knew, they didn't know for sure if they would even get back with the fuel they had. Much less find the carriers in the dark. So they made it anyway. 200 planes left. They uh, actually successfully found this fleet, disabled it, and then headed back. Um, as the planes began to run out of fuel, run out of fuel, as they were literally in a real way lost in the Pacific Ocean, the world's largest. Open water, no light. You know, you can't put on the lights because a submarine finds that fleet, you're toast. The whole thing's gone. And so as plane by plane begins to drop into the ocean, you hear guys on there on the radio. And they had bad communications at this point, too. And the planes are going down. People are crying and sobbing. Uh, They're disoriented. It's pitch black. And Admiral Mark Mischer makes a really gutsy call. And he says, you know what, guys? Light it up. Let's get our guys home. I know it's a risk. Light it up. Bring all the ships full blast. Turn on every light you can find. And can you imagine trying to find your way home? Some of your buddies already went down. You don't know whether to, to ditch the plane or not. You're running on fumes. Can't find anybody. Looks, you did a successful mission. Now you can't get back home. And all of a sudden, the entire Pacific poof, cut the lights on. An entire fleet cuts every light on and risk their lives to bring you home? I wish I could have seen that. So all of a sudden, night turns to day, and they, they find the ships. It was such, it was, they were running on fumes, so actually they lost 80 planes on the landing alone. And yet in the whole ordeal, 16 pilots and 30, uh, 33 crew members were the loss of life that night when it could have been much much more. It was a miracle by all accounts because somebody said, let there be light and took a risk for their own life to save others. I think it's a Christian principle that can be learned here and that is we're called to turn on the light. It's going to cost you something. There's risk involved. There's no doubt. But to have people come home Isn't that what it's all about? To have people find their way back home. Even if we get sunk, so to speak, in this life because we shined our light, many have. In Christianity, many have. They've met their end because they were shining the light. Maybe that's going to happen to you. Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. 
Either way, are you shining any light toward others? Are you taking any risk at all in your life for Christ? Jesus says, if you follow me, there will be suffering. He chose us out of the world to be witnesses to the world. And so now it's our turn to choose. He chose us. He appointed us. He's chosen us out of the world so that we can go back into the world and be salt and light. So this morning, honestly, what is your choice? You know, as, as I said last week, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, and I love it. Only the obedient believe. You can tell me something. You can tell yourself something. But only the obedient believe. Either you're going to take the risk and turn the light or you're not. Either you're going to deny yourself or you're not. Did you notice how many times hate was used in this passage? You either at the end of the day hate him or you love him. There is no in-between. And your actions will always speak louder than your words. We don't have to live sterile lives. We can come home. We can find our way home. We can be grafted in. We can be plugged up to the source. Some of your problems in your life, if you trace it back to the wall, it's because you're unplugged. You're not living in Christ who is our life. But you don't have to live like that. <laughs> We've got people right now that will willingly pray with you if you come down here and say, you know what, I need, I need help. I need Christ. And who doesn't? You're just lying to yourself if you stand there and say you don't. So, in the finale, abide, Jesus says, in me. Love one another because I chose you. Amen.